This week's parsha highlights the making of the big day kahuna, the priestly garments. Each kain would wear four garments, a kain hadith, a regular kain, but the kain gadol, the high priest, he would wear eight garments. Now, one of the additional garments, in other words, the extra four that the kain gadol wore, was called the choshen. The choshen is the breastplate. This is the garment that the kain gadol wore over his heart. And it consisted of 12 jewels with the names of the 12 tribes engraved on them. Now the Torah refers to the Choshen as the Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate of justice. The question is, what does justice have to do with the breastplate? So Rashi explains that the, that the priestly garments were worn to serve as a kapara, an atonement for the various sins of the Jewish people. The Choshen specifically atoned for the sin of Kilkul Hadin, corruption of the law. However, this too requires clarification. What connection is there between the breastplate worn over the heart to the integrity of justice? So one answer to this question can be found by referring to an interesting observation that is made by Toysfus, which is a collection of Midrashic comments by the French Tosafists who lived in the 13th through the 15th centuries. The word Choshen has the numerical equivalent, the gematria of the word Mashiach. They both equal 358. Taisus explains the connection between the role of the Choshen to atone for corruption of justice to the coming of Mashiach by citing Isaiah, Yeshaya, Pedicut Aleph, chapter 11, that Mashiach will judge by his using his sense of smell. This is a metaphor for his ability to sniff out, so to speak, any miscarriage of justice. Mashiach will be endowed with divine inspiration that will guarantee the integrity of justice. Now, the role of justice in relation to Mashiach is actually spelled out in the verse in Isaiah, in chapter 1. Zion will be redeemed with justice. However, there are two stages in justice. You have the pre-Messianic age kind of justice where it's imperfect. However, the sincere pursuit of justice is needed in order to hasten the coming of Mashiach. The second stage follows the coming of Mashiach and the final redemption, at which time the higher, more divinely inspired form of messianic justice will be revealed. And this sheds light on our prayer that we say three times a day, return our judges as in earlier times. So we ask Hashem to restore justice the way it was in the days of old, when we had the Beis Amigdash, the Holy Temple, and the Sanhedrin. When is this going to happen? After the coming of Mashiach with the restoration of the Sanhedrin. Yet the prophet averts that we need justice now to bring Mashiach. Does justice precede Mashiach or follow him? In light of the above, it's clear that there are two stages of justice. You have the justice before Mashiach comes, where we make a sincere effort to ensure the integrity of justice within the limits of our existence in Galus. And there's the more advanced form of justice that will come with and follow the coming of Mashiach. However, the question still remains. What connection is there between the 12 jewels of the Choshen and that it was placed over the heart in justice? The connection between the jewels that were placed over the heart and justice. More specifically, how does it relate to the coming of Mashiach? Okay, so the 12 stones of the Choshen represent the 12 tribes, which points to the reality that despite our differences, we are all jewels. As the Rebbe told a woman 
who was amazed at his ability to stand for hours to distribute dollars for tzedakah and blessings to thousands every day. When you count diamonds, you do not get tired. Notwithstanding the stark differences between the 12 tribes, they're all equally represented in the Chayshim. And they're all precious jewels. Once we have this realization, there is a similar, li- similar likelihood for the miscarriage of justice based on the judges who had a uh, kind of a warped view of one of the litigants in a case that he must adjudicate. Okay, so somebody might ask this question. Doesn't viewing both litigants as being both equally precious and righteous contradict the teaching of, of our sages in Perkyavis? That when the litigants stand before you, regard them both as wicked, but when they leave your presence, regard them as innocent once they've accepted the verdict? How can we reconcile this statement that we regard both litigants as equally wicked with the earlier assertion that we view them both as precious gems? So the answer lies in more literal translation of the words employed in the foregoing citation from Ethics of the Fathers. When the litigants stand before you, they should be in your eyes as if they are wicked. But when they leave your presence, they should be in your eyes as if they are righteous once they have accepted the verdict. The key word, words here are in your eyes and as if. We will continue this in tomorrow. This concludes today's share.